Hey, it's Jay Conzo, and uh, I wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving week here in the United States by running several podcast episodes before the holiday. So the holiday this week is on Thursday, and uh, every year we all get together with our families and friends and gorge ourselves here in the States. That is Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving also comes with a lot of, I don't know, uh, time to reflect, a lot of stress because maybe you're dealing with family members or taking a break from work or whatever the case. Uh, And certainly some of that stress comes from driving. In fact, the most traffic found on the roads in the United States is the night before Thanksgiving every year. So I know many of you will be listening to lots of podcasts as you drive, and I hope maybe I can make that experience a little bit more delightful and a little bit less murdery for you. (laughs) So uh, here's what I'm going to do. Over the next three days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week, I'm going to run one podcast episode each day. And each of these three will have something to do with the Thanksgiving holiday in some kind of thematic tangent. Uh, Today's is a story that involves gorging yourself because that's what we do around here and as you'll see both the food part and the that's what we do around here part come into play in this story so whether you listen to each episode as it comes out this week or you save them all for your drive i hope this can add some some joy some better emotions than that crazy crazed murdery vibe you get on the road all right here's the first story i call this the picnic experiment Because that's the way we do things around here. Ever wonder why that's such a phenomenon in the working world? That's the way we do things around here? Well, researching for my new book, Break the Wheel, I uncovered a psychological phenomenon that explains this. It roots those decisions that we make, those mindless choices, in the science. And once we understand this phenomenon, we can then address it, we can combat it, and we can make better decisions in our work to do our best. So this story today is an excerpt from that book, Break the Wheel, and I call it The Picnic Experiment. Jim Morey is an assistant professor of marketing at DePaul University in Chicago and holds a PhD in marketing and psychology from the University of Michigan. He spent his career studying how subtle cues in our environment influence our choices and behaviors. When we spoke, he recalled a pivotal moment in his career that, on the surface, seemed rather innocuous. In his mid-twenties, as he was exploring the city of Paris, he noticed a woman take a cigarette out of her purse and start smoking. That seems simple enough, but Jim couldn't stop wondering, why do we constantly make mindless decisions? I'd grown up in a generation in the States where smoking is this horrible, abhorrent thing that nobody should do, Jim told me. Here was a woman who was non-consciously going through the motions and smoking a cigarette. When something feels easy and familiar to us, why do we seem to abandon critical thinking, even if what we're doing isn't a good decision? It turns out the culprit is a phenomenon called cultural fluency. Here's what Jim says about that. In every culture, there are these expectations of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. If something is unfolding in a way that we'd predict it would, that would be an experience that's culturally fluent. And when something is fluent, we don't have to think very hard about it because the world is happening as it should. On the other hand, when something seems unexpected or different or even countered the conventional norms, that experience is considered culturally disfluent. 
Unfortunately for those who want to think critically for themselves, culture operates in the background. We don't often notice its effects, but are influenced by them when we make decisions every day. Something that feels culturally fluent becomes more like an automatic behavior than a conscious choice, and that can be incredibly dangerous if our goal is to make the best possible choices in a given situation. Culture guides our behavior on a very subconscious level, said Jim. So when things feel culturally fluent, we go with the flow, and when they feel culturally disfluent, we stop, hesitate, and think a little bit harder. This was Jim's hypothesis. To snap out of any pattern of mindless decision-making, you can introduce some cultural disfluency. Unfortunately, that might feel rather uncomfortable. Since moments of cultural fluency happen so organically that we hardly notice, moments of cultural disfluency create some discomfort. In the workplace, that can feel nearly impossible to tolerate. Jim understood this, and he set out to test just how much disfluency a person actually needs to make better decisions. Naturally, he decided to run a test at his mom's 4th of July party, experimenting on unsuspecting friends and family, because, you know, picnic stuff. As guests approached the buffet table full of hot dogs and hamburgers and sides, Jim handed them their plates. Half the group received festive plates covered in American flags and fireworks, while the other half received plain white plates. Without knowing it, these guests had just been enlisted in a psychological test. Because picnic stuff. Waiting at the end of the buffet, Jim then weighed each of their plates. The results revealed the unseen power of cultural fluency. What we found was that people with the 4th of July plates took significantly more food than the people who got the white plates. Jim surmised that, since the 4th is an American holiday based on gorging yourself, it felt natural to those guests with festive plates to take more food. Those with white plates, however, were disrupted ever so slightly and subconsciously from that mindless flow of holidays enough to consider what they were doing. Later that year, Jim ran this test again, experimenting once more on his friends and family, this time at a Labor Day picnic. Seriously, if Jim invites you to a barbecue, just say no. In this iteration of the test, half the guests received white plates, while the other half got plates intended for Halloween. As he predicted, people with the starkly out-of-place pumpkins and ghosts on their plates took less food than people with white plates. Taken together, we get at least initial support for this idea that when there's a cultural fit, when things are as they should be, people don't really think. They tend to go with the flow. But when there's a disconnect, suddenly things are strange. They're not so strange that we consciously think, oh, I should take less food. It's just that for automatic behaviors, we do them less. We hesitate a bit. We hesitate a bit. Now that line really stands out to me. When our minds urge us to follow a best practice, a tried and true approach, when we're just putting things on repeat because that's how we do things around here, what if we hesitated just a bit? That would create the necessary space we need to think more critically. According to Jim Morey, when our minds notice a disconnect between what we expect and what actually happens, even if that disconnect is small, we tend to make more informed decisions. Those moments of cultural disfluency awaken our brains to the reality right in front of our faces that we'd otherwise miss as we follow the flow of familiar behavior. In that way, small moments that are uncomfortable can trigger the use of our intuition, aka that ability we have to contemplate our environment. Now, here's my question. 
What if we could proactively create moments of cultural disfluency? What if we could awaken our intuition on demand? By asking questions of the world around us, we can do that. We can create some small but necessary distance between us and an expected behavior or flow. Asking great questions helps us begin to form a more thoughtful answer. In other words, when we act like investigators instead of experts, we break from cultural fluency to begin thinking more critically. Investigators ask good questions, and they care about evidence. Experts, on the other hand, they have the answers, and they care about absolutes or theory. We need to ask better questions. There are people in this world who subsist in the status quo, Jim told me. These are the people who see the numbers, they're meeting the numbers, and life is good, so they don't need to change anything. But if you want to be truly innovative, what my research suggests is that this is not the correct approach. If you truly want to innovate and change, you need to break up that flow. This can be something as crazy as redesigning the workspace so it creates an experience of disfluency, or it can be something as simple as traveling. I love that. We don't have to make ourselves unbearably uncomfortable at work to think more critically about what we're doing. Sure, overhauling your entire workspace could do the trick, but so could a quick trip to a new location, or maybe a plate that looks slightly out of place at the family picnic. Yes, quitting your job to try and build something entirely new and different removes you from the daily flow, but so does simply asking good and open-ended questions to better understand and test the things around you. We need only experience some slight discomfort, and suddenly, we're paying more attention. Our intuition has been activated. It can really be that simple and small. What matters is that we can see things more clearly, think for ourselves, and make the best decisions, not based on what works on average or in general, but based on what would work for us. As we establish in the book, intuition is the act of considering the world. Thanks to Jim Mori, we've identified what appears to be the biggest barrier to doing so, cultural fluency. However, as my research suggests, cultural fluency is actually a symptom. It's not the illness. Yes, doing what we've always done the way we've always done it because that's how we do things around here, that prevents us from thinking for ourselves but we aren't really trying to think for ourselves. The entire purpose of this journey we've taken is to act in better ways. We wanna create better work. That might indeed start with making better decisions, but we're not making these decisions in our heads. They have to inform and change our work every day. So, if cultural fluency is the symptom, the blocker to better thinking, then what's the illness? What is the final barrier between us and our best work? That's what we explore in the book. All right, uh, this is me again. This is, this is modern day podcast Jay, not reading from my book here. But I want to give you a confession. Knowing about cultural fluency has changed my life. Seriously, I'm not exaggerating at all. Uh, I, see, I'm in love with the work I do. I love what I do. And therefore, I can let my aspirations kind of run wild on me. And at times, I can let blind aspiration take over for critical thinking. And I think blind aspiration can lead to the work equivalent of gorging yourself on the 4th of July. 
because I'm hungry and excited and excitable and I adore creating and I get dopamine hits when people say nice things or when I earn that next show or speech or check, well, sometimes I get rid of this mindful decision-making that I actually wrote about for moments of just going with the flow based on what one is supposed to do in that situation. So a recent example of this is when I was scoping my plans for Unthinkable Media, my organization that creates docu-series for brands, for 2019. Basically, I was setting these aggressive financial goals, which runs exactly opposite to my own thinking on how to set goals. I talk about this in a previous episode. You can go back two episodes in the Unthinkable feed where I talk about how I set goals. And why was I doing that? Why was I setting these huge goals financially? Because driven, ambitious people do such things? Because annual planning means setting huge growth goals? Because success means building a staff of people and passive revenue and becoming a zillionaire? Yeah, because of all that. Because of cultural fluency. Instead, I've reverted back to my own aspirational anchor. And that is the concept that I use to set my goals. Again, that's what we explore back a couple episodes. An aspirational anchor. And this means that I'm thinking more about the craft and the process. It means I'm asking good questions instead of trying to glom onto somebody else's answers. It means I'm focused on the right partners, like growth stage startups or challenger brands, instead of the biggest partners who could pay me the most money to make a show. It means I'm scheduling video chats with my email subscribers. And by the way, I just completed October's and I'm going to send out an invite for November. So if you're not on that email list, subscribe in the show notes. Essentially, I switched my approach from mindlessly reacting to what one should do to a more proactive, mindful approach to figure out what I should do. Look, I know this hasn't been the typical story that I usually tell on this show, and maybe you loved it, maybe you didn't, but the excerpt I just read you was an emotional gut punch for me to write, because it was an emotional gut punch moment for me in my career. So I'm begging you, take cultural fluency seriously. Don't make mindless decisions. All it takes is asking a few more open-ended questions about the world around you. Because open-ended questions make you a little bit uncomfortable because you don't yet have the answer and you have to go find it. That's enough disfluency to see the situation more clearly, to think more critically and make better decisions. And if you need more guidance on how to do that, that's why I wrote the book. I promise you, if you do that, You'll avoid doing things because that's what someone in your situation should do. That's what we do around here. And instead, you'll start down the path towards what you should do in your current and unique situation. Because that is all that matters. Hey 